Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? Ben, it feels pretty good to know that the Pittsburgh Steelers are 4-0. And Ben, do do you know who they played this past weekend? Oh, I was really hoping we weren't going to have to talk. No, about no, 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 no. And you thought, our, you thought our pre-podcast conversation was going to go super well. Yeah. you thought I was going to ignore this. No, 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 no. 38-29, the Eagles are 1-3-1. The Pittsburgh Steelers are currently undefeated, even though of, like all the teams they face so far have like a combined, what, two wins or something like that. Yeah. It's embarrassing, but I'm going to ignore that part. The score, 38-29, that was the final score. Fun fact. That has only happened one time in the NFL, or technically the AFL, all the way back December 17th, uh, I believe it was 1967, between the Oakland Raiders and uh, the New York Jets. So fun fact there, you know, very wow. rare score, only one time before. Yeah, I'm pulling that out of my butt. Uh, that's, a, a sc- <laughs> that's a scorigami for anyone who, who knows what I'm talking about. I love about. scorigami. You, yep. I love scorigami, right? It's it's a, I'm, I've become way too invested in scorigami, so... Um, <laughs> So yeah, uh, it'll be that, that. Just just wanted to throw that out there. Not only was this a big one for Pittsburgh, it was also a very very close scoregami. Uh, yeah, the Eagles still like a half game out of the division lead because the NFC East just sucks. So um, I'm gonna take my loss here, as Philadelphia sports has been doing pretty much all of 2020, and move right along into uh the running content i I think i'd rather stay in that area than nfl right now that's a fair point um yeah especially how they're looking all right i'll let you go all right so we are still at 92 ratings reviews and getting like uh made fun of uh and other places uh about our reviews which which, kick is coming after us which hurt a little bit um but I think we are we we can certainly get a few more ratings and, and put us above sit and kick. That I mean, that's really all we're we're gunning for right now at this point. Um, we are we are getting ever closer to that hundred ratings. Uh, and I mean, we've had plenty of support. I think all the ratings that we've been getting have been really great. Uh, so if you, whoever you are, who hasn't done it, and we know you're listening right now because there's plenty of people listening right now. We yeah, really mom. just need, yeah, we need some, we need some of those ratings reviews. Just hit that uh, five stars and move along with your day. You'll make us incredibly happy and it'll cost you absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, I'm really telling this to my parents who have not yet done it. Um, <laughs> see that this is the thing, you know, I'll follow up in a week and I'm like, so did you get my message on the podcast? And they're like, what? And then that's how I'll know whether yeah. or not they listen to the right. podcast. There you go. Boom. Um, so why don't we just jump right in? We we have a lot to talk about today. This will be a loaded episode. Um, right off the bat, I think we need to hit the Minnesota uh, decision that was just made this past week. The Minnesota Board of Regents approved a new proposal that includes keeping men's outdoor track. It does still cut indoor, and there is still a possibility of reducing roster sizes. Um, I think this was a small win. Uh, for Minnesota, obviously, it still is really impactful that a Power 5 Big Ten school is cutting their indoor program uh, because of finances. I, that's, a, that's a huge, huge deal. But the fact that we were able, they were able to get outdoor track, the Minnesota community like just vocalized their displeasure and 
got together uh, huge Facebook groups that I was hearing about talking about this uh, and writing to the board. I, I think it was really good to see the running community come together and really fight like they did for uh, Brown as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still very frustrating that we had to do all that uh, just to still lose one of the three main sports of distance running. Um, so I, I think it's a small victory. What do you think? Yeah, I'm really, really torn. And one side, I'm kind of with you there. Like it stinks. It stinks that they had to lose indoor track, especially such a big power, big 10 program, established history, all that jazz. Um, but I also can't help but take a look at this and I'm sure a couple of Minnesota listeners aren't going to be happy with me, but I'm like, man, isn't this a little bit of a win? Like at least at all, because I, you know, when faced with the, like the obvious, we can talk about, you know, whether Mark Coyle is, is the, you know, a proper AD or the title nine issues or the finances and how to balance that. I'm not going to argue that those factors play a role and can be argued one way or another, but I'm thinking, man, all things considered, considering that you were looking at both programs being cut, I just can't help but think that this is kind of a win. I mean, there are programs out there, now admittedly not many, that don't really pursue indoor track or at least don't pursue it super seriously. Um, now, if you're a Big Ten program, you should. But it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, this could have gone really poorly and at least there was something to salvage out of it. So I'm not excusing the logistical problems that Minnesota has set themselves up with. That's on them. But I do at least acknowledge the fact that they, at least seven of them, it was a seven to five vote. Were which is smart, way too close. Way which too is ag- agreed, which is way too close. I, I agree that it's way too close, but I appreciate that at least they came back and it still gave them that season. What I will say is a bigger problem is that they spent no time discussing yeah. the proposal. I mean, they delayed a vote. They said, hey, do we want it to delay this vote and take a further look at this proposal and maybe come back to see if we can not just salvage outdoor track, but maybe all these other sports that we're cutting? And they said no to that and then move forward with this proposal anyways. If I'm the University of Minnesota and you have people screaming at you, thousands of people screaming at you that this is wrong, wouldn't you at least take a step back and not and wait and process this new information that you got rather than just move forward with something where you don't know the financial implications of, you don't know the Title IX implications of, you don't know that the implications that cutting indoor track is going to have on recruiting, on the performance as a team as a whole, they should have delayed the vote. But of course, at the same side, it's like, well, then what if they came back and didn't allow for anything? So I, I get both sides. Yeah, I, I was surprised that they went ahead and did the vote when they did. Um, ben Blankenship, who's been an active voice in all of this, posted a pretty scathing uh, statement after the fact um, about them still deciding to cut indoor. Um, and it's really, I mean, if you want to read it, he posted on Twitter. Um, and, and it's really, I mean, there's a lot of good points. And I think the, one of the big concerns is, so you start with cutting indoor track, but that's, that's the start. And I, I think that's what a lot of, uh, people in the Minnesota program, a lot of other programs across the country are seeing that a big 10 school has decided to start the cutting of their cross country and track programs. Um, and Ultimately, like we said, we're glad that we were able to save men's outdoor, but 
the fact that we're already saying, okay, we're, we're a, just a little okay with one sport going away because at least we got the other is the sign is a huge sign that like department athletic departments and universities are already starting to move the goalposts a little bit. Um, and we're, we're having to adjust to that. I will say this though, that what we have now learned out of this Minnesota situation, we thought maybe it was just a one-time instance with Brown university, but this is now the second occasion where a major program has been willing to step back and say, okay, well maybe we'll at least salvage something. Brown obviously brought back all those programs. Minnesota is now at least retaining outdoor track. There is some, something to be said about track and field and cross country and the willingness and the arguments that can be made. I was skeptical at first about any retainment of any of these sports, but now we've seen that activism and having a voice and reaching out and, you know, pushing an agenda to save your sport can work. It won't always work as we've seen with Akron, but it can work. Yeah. Don't, don't be afraid to mobilize and, and to work hard uh, to let your voices be heard. I think that's one of the big messages out of this that uh, you can promote change and, and hopefully we can do that at each of our own programs before drastic decisions like this are being made. Um, so let, let your school, whether you're an alumni or even an athlete uh, or a parent of an athlete or whoever, uh, let your voice be heard about what value your team has provided. Um, and I think that's what a lot of Minnesota alumni were able to do um, and Brown and alumni as well. And that, that's why we were able to save a lot of that. Um, and, and I think that if we continue to do that as a track and field community, um, we can hopefully postpone or not even have any of these discussions about cutting programs in the future. Obviously, it's worrying that we're having big schools like this go this route. But like you said, the, the activism can actually make a really big difference. Yeah. And now that also said, we can only do this for so many programs. Right. Like the, yeah. the problem is that this is probably going to ha continue to happen. Um, so, you know, there's only so much that we can do, but you know, make a, make your voice out there, put it out there. And at the very least, Minnesota retained a program and in some capacity, that is a, at least some kind of a win. So. 100%. So why don't we, we had a few bits of news before we go on to res, some results. Big Sky teams are now allowed to race twice this fall. Um, it is not expected for the Big Sky Chip Conference Championship to happen in 2020, but at least Big Sky teams will be allowed to race twice this fall. We can talk a little bit more about that in our preview for other meets. Um, and then the Southern Conference Championship has been moved to November 21st. Um, uh, just, I think good news for, uh, those of us who want to see more races and better teams out there competing. Yeah, this is great news. I mean, you know, a lot of people want to talk about NAU and, you know, what they bring to the table, but Hey, we had Weber state men at TSR mm -hmm. number 23 in our preseason rankings. That was great. That's exciting to see just any fact that we could see some competition. Um, from my understanding, it's, we're not going to have a big Scott championship still. That's still delayed, but it's pretty cool to, to see that the, you know, we have these teams and, and we'll even touch about, you know, touch on those teams a little bit later. Yeah. So why don't we move on to some results that we had from the middle of the week? Um, we saw the Wolfpack invitational invitational um, and there was just a few teams competing 
But boy, did we get some interesting results out of this four-team meet, especially on the men's side. We saw Virginia upset NC State in a race that, frankly, you and I just had, I think, not even penciled NC State for the win, but maybe just put in Sharpie. Um, they narrowly were lost to Virginia by three points. I, I think the story of the meet for me, um, besides just Virginia's depth that was m- more impressive than NC State's, was uh, Rohan Asfu, or is Asfa? Is, sorry, I want to make I, sure. Something, <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. I, I, it's, like, there's half of these names of the NCAA, I just don't know. Uh, so Asfa, we'll go with that. Took home the win, beating uh, NC State's top trio of Flavin, uh, Bistritz, and Shanklin. That was, I think, the biggest thing that jumped off the page for me when I looked at the results because you you just kind of thought that NC State was going to fill up those top three spots. And in a race this close, if they had done that, they would have won. Um, but because Virginia was able to have one of their runners win the race, uh, they ended up winning the meet. Um, I I guess the, that's my first big reaction. We can talk more about it, but what, what was your first big uh, reaction looking at this race? I mean, my gosh, Virginia, just, and, and anyone who says that this wasn't an upset, let's be very clear. Mm-hmm. This was an upset. 100%. Be 100%. Like, I mean, Virginia lost a ton of veteran firepower and scorers from last year's team. And last year's team, we only ranked around like the, what, 20th spot or so. And frankly, I think you could argue that ranking them at TSR number 24 in this year's preseason rankings in a regular year was a little generous, getting considering all the guys they lost. They, you know, they're young, they're inexperienced. Um, the guys they do have are, you know, we didn't expect to step up in the way that they have. No one could have expected Rohan Asba to run as well as he has so far. Taking down a Flavin Bistritz and Shanklin coming into the season, I would not have said that Asba was better than either of those three. But now we're we're second guessing that. And not only that, but the youngsters on this team have been phenomenal. Bryson Kritz and Wes Porter, I mean, two phenomenal talents. They finished uh, sixth and fifth, respectively. Randy Nish was in seventh. I mean, they just stacked and overwhelmed the back end of this NC State team. They just had better depth. And despite NC State having guys like, um, you know, Gavin Gaynor or Nick Kowalik and Brett Gardner, you know, they have a couple guys they just weren't able to fend off a mass number of Virginia runners. Um, and really, even if this was a dual meet, Virginia still gets the edge and they did it without Peter Morris. So this is by every means an upset, at least in my eyes. Yeah, they had seven in front of NC State's five, uh, which really is an indictment, I think, on NC State's depth, but also just a a huge statement for the Cavaliers. Um, Do you so we had talked about NC State and being pretty impressed with their depth early on. Um, Gavin Gaynor came back, just didn't have his best race, probably still working his way back into fitness, uh, seeing as he did not run in their first meet. But I I mean, is this a little bit of a worrying sign for NC State? Obviously, they still have that great trio up front. But if they're not able to, I mean, even if they have those guys competing at a really high level, if their back end isn't up to the the uh, to the task, they're really not going to be able to compete with these top 10, 15 teams in the country like we thought they might be able to. 
Yeah, I mean, I will say they didn't have Hans Berger, at least not from what I could see in the results. Maybe I missed him. Sorry, Hans, if I did. But I, I just... I just feel like this team does. You know, I, I look at Nate Kowalik and I look at Gavin Gaynor and I think about Hans Berger and I think about all the freshmen that they brought in who have run pretty well, by the way. They've they've been very respectable. Um, and I think about some of the guys that they had last year. I mean, this team, like when you put all their pieces together from that 2019 season and add in, you know, some of their freshmen, they are in theory pretty deep, but it wasn't great. I'm not ready to pull the fire alarm yet for this squad. I think I want to see a little bit more, and obviously I think it'd be better if we had a regular season, but just something to watch, obviously, now going forward. What's the that back end going to look like? I do think that they are better than what we saw, but I also think Virginia's depth is just far better than anyone could have expected. Right, and, and I agree with that. I just think that, I mean, obviously, if Virginia's depth is still better than we think, we they're probably not. Uh, that depth is probably not stacking them up against top 10, top 15 teams in the country. So I, I think, like you said, we shouldn't overreact necessarily to the NC State performance, but I, I think it is a worrying sign and, and maybe indicative of what we'll see at the ACC championships where they may not finish as high up as we think they would have. Um, obviously, Notre Dame will enter as the favorite, but uh, I think it'll be a really interesting ACC meet with Virginia coming on the way they are. Um, but why don't we move on to the women's side? NC State on the uh, NC State women were dominant once again. We did not see two-year star lipper, um, but I, and again, I'm going to go to the top of the race uh, once again for my big women's takeaway. Dominique Claremont's emergence as a front runner for the Wolf Pack is probably the biggest development of any like national contender. Uh, team that we've seen race at all this year if she can continue to finish ahead of hannah steelman then this is a team that absolutely if we see them in the winter or if we see them next year could 100 percent beat stanford with with her running the way she is right now absolutely yeah and she was uh, you know, and let, you know, just kind of be honest here. She was a little underwhelming during the 2019 cross country season. She wasn't great. Her indoor track season, truthfully, wasn't that great either. But whatever it is, it looks like she's kind of you know figured out and gotten back into the groove since then. I mean, you look back at what she did in well, I think like 2018. She was like 16th uh, in the Wisconsin pre nationals. I think that was the year where they divided up the races. But she was also eighth at the ACC championships, fifth at the Southeast region, and 62nd at the NCAA championships. Now she's 54th at the NCAA NCAA championships last year, but what I'm trying to get at is that during 2019, she wasn't really the most consistent, but now she's really looking strong. And she was the only woman to crack the 17 minute barrier at the Wolfpack Invitational the other week. She beat Hannah Steelman, who, you know, we obviously think is one of the better runners in the country. Really nice development there. You needed to replace some of the scoring potency that Ellie Hennis was going to leave behind, especially if you know, you don't have Starleper and Tui. I mean, that's really where the base of the scoring power we expected from NC State was going to be coming into the season. There's also a lot of depth, but but getting that extra front runner up there is really, really big. So we'll see what happens. It's only two small meets in, but who knows? Maybe the next meet we'll, we'll get something out of it. Yeah, I mean, NC State withstood a, a below average race from Kelsey Camille. Um, but their, their depth, uh, from underclassmen was just, I mean, you, you scroll through the results and it's NC state, NC state, NC state, like just one after another, uh, which is really, really impressive. 
I think the other big takeaway is uh, Sasha Neglia, a UNC freshman, is for real. She finished third behind Claremont and Steelman. Uh, the freshman continues her really, really good start to the 2020 season. Yeah, she's really good. And just to backtrack a little bit, you're right. I should give uh, Kelsey Schmiel or Camille, however you say her name, <laughs> um, a little bit, a little bit of more credit. She didn't. She had an off day, but she's a stud and one of the best distance right. runners in the country. She's also great. But going back, yeah, I mean Sasha Naglia is for real. I mean, she took down Paige Hofstad in their season opener. Hofstad didn't run. Um, was it this last Wednesday? We're recording this on a Monday. Um, but yeah, Naglia, it looks great. Third place finish. I mean, you, we figured that she'd be good. I, I don't think we expected her to be anywhere close to where she is now. And frankly, the rest of the UNC freshmen are looking very solid as well. Uh, the future of the UNC Tar Heel women looking great. And Naglia, man, she looks really strong as just a freshman. Just imagine what she's going to be, you know, performing, what, what level she's going to be performing at when she gets another year or two of experience under her belt. Yeah, and like you said, Kelsey Harrington, Taryn Parks, two other UNC freshmen looked really impressive. And and as a whole, uh, even with NC State's really good recruiting class this past year, UNC's freshmen, I mean, they had a great recruiting class too. They're outperforming NC State's freshmen right now. Obviously, you're you're missing out on the top two, uh, maybe the top two freshmen in the country with Starlipper and Tui. Um, but right now, I mean, UNC looks like they're they're they have the edge. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there, but right now, um, UNC, I mean, again, like you said, Starlipper and two, we kind of changed this conversation quite a bit, but you gotta be impressed with, with what we've seen so far. hundred percent. Well, why don't we move on to previewing the meets that are coming up this weekend? We have a stack slate of meets. Honestly, this, this looks like the usual weekend that we would have, uh, in a normal year which is kind of nice to see. We, I think the first big race that we'll have to take a look at is the OSU Invitational, Oklahoma State, back on their home course. And this weekend, they get the heavy hitters of the NCAA. NAU and BYU are making the trip to Stillwater. They'll be joined by Southern Utah and Weber State, uh, among a few other teams, uh, Big 12 teams and teams of the region. But really, I think this is all about the debut of NAU and BYU. Um, what team maybe you're looking at those two? Is there any other teams that you're really focused on on the men's side before we jump to the women? Yeah, I mean, the Southern Utah and Weber State are obviously two big names from the big sky um, that I'm really looking at. Weber State, we have ranked at TSR number 30, I'm sorry, TSR number 23, excuse me, in the team rankings. Um, and Southern Utah was a just missed name. I think like if we had to choose like a 26th or 27th team, they would have yep. been right there. So really interesting um, to kind of have those teams. This is going to be a big, um, you know, weekend to see kind of, hey, is this Weber State team maybe as good as, as we think they are? You know, are they going to have that front running? Do they have the, you know, the developed depth and, and all that jazz? So I'm excited to see them. We could go on talking about NAU, BYU, you know, but I, I will say this. I really like Oklahoma State, the mm. men in this yeah. race. Uh, enough where I'm like, maybe they would scare BYU for a second. Ooh. I think NAU is going to win. I maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting. Maybe by the end of this podcast, I'll come back and say upset alert, but I'm not there quite yet. So yeah, I, I'm very curious to see what Oklahoma State looks like 
compared to these top two teams. Obviously, someone like Victor Shusama, uh, what can he do after his great performance? Uh, Ryan Shope and Alex Meyer, how can they bounce back after incredible performances against Iowa State a few weeks ago? Um, but I think for me, uh, it has to be BYU. I'm, I'm really interested to see guys like Casey Klinger, Clayson Shumway, guys that we haven't seen for a really, really long time compete on the NCAA cross-country scene. I want to see them go against these NAU guys. I, I, I don't know if this race is really going to tell us a whole lot about the like big picture of NAU versus BYU uh, whenever there is a national championship. Unless like it, BYU wins, then I think that does, does maybe tell us something. But I, I think the level of fitness that Klinger and, to a lesser extent, Shumway show at this meet is, will be a huge, huge indicator for us how close this battle could be in the future. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I, will, I just want to make a quick note that we think Weber State uh, is going to uh, the OSU Invitational. Um, that was with a a, re- a team release from a, a separate program where they had listed in the entries, but that has since been taken down. So we think Weber State's going to Oklahoma State. We're not 100% sure there, uh, but just wanted to make that quick clarifying note. Um, back to you. I- I'm kind of with you. I don't know exactly how much of a takeaway we're going to have from this, but I-, I do think that at a base level, this is probably going to tell us the same thing that we know is that NAU and BYU are very good and they have mm-hmm. very strong talents and they're both very deep. I'll be interested to see if Nico Young runs. Like, I don't think there's yeah. any reason why he wouldn't run if he's going to get the extended eligibility and he's healthy. So I, I don't know about that, but um, I'll be interested to see how he runs, how he compares to, you know, Klinger, who, by the way, rumor has it that Klinger is in wicked yeah. good shape. I, and I mean, that's we'll why that's I'm true. so excited. That's why I'm really excited because if he's up there with Mance, whoo, that, that could be that interesting. Would be, it would be scary yeah um on the women's side obviously still really good field uh byu women are are certainly the class of the field i would say um but oklahoma state uh, uh, after a a strong performance on the uh, an okay performance on the women's side i would say from a few weeks ago um it'll be interesting to see how they stack up nau is really going to be solid on the women's side as well they were 18th in our uh preseason rankings uh maybe talk me through what you are looking for in this women's race yeah i mean the women's race for me it really just comes down to oklahoma state's firepower because yeah. in theory if taylor Rowe and gabby hentman are as good as their initial race it's it you know, suggests that they are and then molly Bourne comes back and races she did not race in her season opener and then uh taylor Sommers, if she comes back she had a tough day at the cowboy jamboree but i mean Everything that we've seen from her so far suggests that she's one of the best distance talents in the country. If those four runners are as good as we think they are, then I I hesitate to say this. I'm not I'm not trying to to go after BYU or anything, but I think Oklahoma State could maybe scare BYU. Now I think Whitney Orton is just borderline unstoppable for this yeah. field. But as I drop my phone again, as I do every <laughs> podcast, um, but. I I really like the Oklahoma State women. I mean, I, I you know, I, we'll see about BYU. I like BYU a lot as well. I think they're, you know, probably a little underrated and a little underappreciated after losing a few key veteran scores, but kind of like Oklahoma State women. 
can't help it. So, so, so you're you're picking them over NAU. Um. Uh, yeah, I, I'll say I'll pick the Oklahoma State women over NAU women. Yeah, I'll go with that. All right. So, if, so here, if, if, hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. If if Molly Bourne, Gabby Hetman, uh, Taylor Rowe, and Taylor Summers all run, that's okay. that has to be that has to be it. Okay, so so I'll here we go. I'll I'll take this bet with you. I'll I'll go with NAU on the women's side, and then uh, let's. I'm trying to trying to think of a way we could do it on the men's. I'll give you like what what if I spot you ten points, that might be a little much. I'll spot you eight points for Oklahoma State, uh, to beat BYU. Would you take that? Like, yeah, yeah, I take that. All right, all right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll recap next week and see where we're at. Yeah, if you spot me eight points with the Oklahoma, so if Oklahoma State finishes within at or if they if so if they hit eight points away, do do, do I win or do you win? Oh, uh, let's well, let's do seven and a half, seven and a half then. Okay, so if they score seven, if they score seven points or less against BYU, you're gonna you're gonna consider this a win for me. Yes, I will. And if they score eight points or more against BYU, it's a win for you. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I'm I I will take that bet. I'm I think Oklahoma State on paper could scare BYU. I'm not right. saying win yet. I'm not convinced to say <laughs> win yet. I came into this podcast ready to drop a bomb, but I'm not I'm not ready there yet. All right, yeah. I think this will be a really exciting one and we'll obviously see who wins that bet on, on the next week's episode. Um, but why don't we move on to the other big meet of the weekend, the UAB Blazer Classic. I mean, we have so many teams competing. It's like pre-COVID times. It's great. Um, we have Florida, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Charlotte, FSU, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Tennessee, MTSU, Georgia, Auburn, Mississippi State, and a host of others. Um, I think what I'm really interested about, and this this goes for the men and women, is is what do we see out of MTSU? We haven't really seen them. Um, we're not really sure what they brought in, what they lost exactly. Um, they are solid on both sides, on the men and women. Uh, they are a team that who we just posted our midseason rankings for teams who are have competed so far. They certainly could shoot up really high after a race like this. I would agree with you that MTSU is probably one of those teams that we need to watch. What's that roster lineup going to look like? How will they fare after losing Titus Lagat and we think Hegan Shimadi? You know, eligibility with that team is kind of difficult to figure out. But what do they kind of look like? They weren't as bad as their national meet performance suggested last year. Um, a, a ton of other teams and a ton of other questions that I have uh, coming into this meet, though. Arkansas, Amon Kemboy, does he run? Same situation as the SEC transfer bylaw that Chrissy Gear went through, um, but she was racing earlier in the week, or at least you know this past week or two weeks ago. So what happens with Kemboy? Charlotte, do they bring back a couple guys that were you know initially not racing at the Live in the Loop Classic? How much better does that make them? Dorcas Masiki, is she racing? How legit is Kentucky? Ole Miss, just kind of want to see them again. How legit is Georgia? I mean, the list goes on and on and on about the teams that we could see here. Uh, just a ton of questions. Not, It's not a meet that's quite as top-heavy as it is at OSU, but it's deep, and it, and it gives us a lot of small storylines to take away. Yeah, I think on the men's side, uh, Ole Miss versus uh, Arkansas will be a really interesting battle again and a little bit of a bigger field. Uh, and in an 8K, 
uh, rather than the 6K when they met at the SEC preview. Um, I think Charlotte is a really interesting. Charlotte and Kentucky, who have been impressive so far this year, uh, can they continue to ride that their momentum? Um, FSU, can they bounce back? Um, and then on the women's side, I, I think, like you said, we, we saw Arkansas compete really well um, at the Missouri meet. Can they continue to just put the pedal to the metal and beat up on some solid teams? I mean, Ole Miss is good. Uh, Georgia Tech can be good when they're running everybody. Um, I, FSU, if they're at full strength, poses a pretty good challenge. Um, so I'm kind of curious. We saw a lot of depth from Arkansas, but I, I'm curious, like like we saw with NC State, how real is that depth when you're running against better competition? Yeah, hundred um, percent. There, there's just again one of those things where, at least on the women's side, just a handful of different storylines. Uh, yeah, a, a ton of different things for these teams. Um, just whether it's Kentucky, because you know Kentucky had a nice race. I think Lavin Lou. Um, I already mentioned Dorcas Basiki with Louisville, Georgia Tech. Like Georgia Tech, for me though, this is like one of those races of like the are you kind of for real team? Yeah. Um, this is that's kind of what one of these races is. Um, I think Nicole Fagans and Ellen Flood. They didn't race at Florida State Invitational. I'm looking for that. Um, obviously, I think Arkansas women are probably going to comfortably pull away. Um, but how the old women's uh, excuse me, old Miss women fare against this field that'll be interesting. So, I just a whole bunch of different takeaways here. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be, be really interesting. At risk of turning this podcast into the hops and props and, and stepping on John and Sam's <laughs> toes, uh, what, what, so combined men and women on the Arkansas margin of victory, plus or minus, will go uh, 14 and a half. Because that, that's pretty good. I think it's going to be, I'd take the over. I take okay. it. I I I feel pretty comfortable about that because one of those teams, fourteen and a half. I mean, they could they could do that. One team could do that on their own. Um, I, I think that. I, would I don't know. I think it'll be closer. I I think it'll be tight. Like I, on the yeah. women's side, I think it could be pretty. Like could be ten. Like well, that's but, what I'm. That's what I'm kind yeah. of thinking. I think the Arkansas women could rack up the score. I I think they are the clear cut best team. I think that Arkansas men are also the clear cut best team. But I don't. I think that the individuals that are scattered throughout this field could maybe dilute some of their yeah. lineup scoring potency a little bit. So I think, yeah, if, if you give me enough Arkansas points on the women's side, I would only need four or five points on the men's side, and I'd be comfortable enough with that win. So yeah, I'd, I'd take the over. I would probably be a little less comfortable if you gave me like a 17-18 number. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think you're probably right that fourteen and a half is probably a little low, but I I, I think it could. Be I think a, it's close enough though. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, we'll keep an eye on that as well. But why don't we move on to some ACC meets that are happening this weekend as well? We have a tri meet going on between UNC, NC State, and Wake Forest, and then at Panorama Farms we have Virginia, Duke, and Virginia Tech. We've seen a lot of these teams already uh, run these kind of small meets. I'm not really sure what we're going to learn about any of these teams necessarily, um, but it'll be good to see them race once again. Yeah, I, I mean, the Wake Forest uh, meet there where they face UNC and NC State, I think there's a lot of takeaways that we can pull from that. 
but it's all very tentative. It's all tentative on if Zach Vaccioni runs right. for Wake Forest. It's all tentative on if Thomas Ratcliffe and Alex Milligan and Jesse Hunt and if Patrick Anderson actually finishes a race for UNC and, you know, NC State, knock on wood, should win this race. But of course, we said that last time and they lost. So um, now that said, I do think they will win this race. Like, please, NC State, please follow through. Um but yeah, I, I do think that's going to be the case. Um, so we'll see what happens there. In Virginia, Duke, VT, I think it's going to be a Virginia win um, with a few points back being a battle between Duke and Virginia Tech. And, I, you know, Duke could come out in second. Virginia Tech could come out in second. I, I'm kind of with you. I don't really know how much we're really going to learn from these, but the tri-meet against UNC, NC State, and Wake Forest could be interesting just because there's a lot of different factors that we have not seen yet from a bunch of these teams. Yeah, uh, do you think uh, we're not just going to see Tui or Starlipper at all for this like weird no. season? Okay, yeah, no. that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, I I'm just kind of resorting to that fact now, and I will say like Paige Hofstad on the women's side, like yeah. you, you know, you want to talk about that? Um, that seeing her, you know, how she handles this field, and you know how you know at least right wake 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 forest but there's not as many storylines there just because i'm more content on the idea of tui and starlipper not running the season i will say though that if they are going to run at the acc championships i would suspect that they would run at this meet before they do that uh who do you have winning on the women's side for uh the virginia virginia tech duke meet oh that's actually a lot closer than i that one's tough that i'm thinking now that's a little it's a little tough um probably duke i'd say duke i think virginia keeps it i say i say virginia keeps it close though um yeah i I, virginia tech like listen go Hokies. yeah i love blacksburg i just i think it's one year that they're rebuilding i also think they're just better suited for the track you know when we're talking about indoor and outdoor track virginia tech is easily one of the top teams in not just the acc but also the country especially on the distance and middle distance side um yeah, I think I'm gonna take Duke. I think I just like Duke better. All right, I'm going. I'm going Virginia. I I'm going for the women pulling the upset like the men did. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's. I don't think that's necessarily. It's not wrong. a big upset. No. <laughs> um. But yeah, that that'll actually be an interesting battle. I think on the women's side, maybe more than more so than on the men's side. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with either. I mean, I again, like kind of like you said, I don't know if we're gonna pull any major takeaways from this uh, from those races. We have another race uh, at the uh, at Texas A&M, the Arturo Barrios uh, Invitational, where we will see Texas, um, which will be interesting. They're not really going to have, from what we can tell, a whole lot of competition, but we will get to see them. Um, but like I said off the top when we we're previewing, it's nice to be able to have like a wide variety of meets with really good teams competing, some really interesting matchups. Um, I mean, whatever the season has been, at least we're getting a weekend like this um, where we can really see some like interconference uh, matchups and get a, a little bit of a feel for where teams stack up before we move on to whatever's next. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot to talk about. We'll have to really get ahead on those uh, meet previews this week. Yep. Um, it, it kind of feels like that nutty comb pre-Nats week a little bit. Right. You know, you split up, um, what was it, with UAB and, and OSU. It's it's really refreshing. It's comforting. And then, um, you know, season ends a little bit early. We'll have to figure out what, what we're going to do in November um, and, and in December. But, yeah, agreed. Really nice 
that just have these meets there. Nice to have NAU and BYU and you know, yes. Southern Utah and Weber State. That's that's nice to have. It just feels like there's a little bit of normalcy back in the world. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Also, side note, we had heard a rumor. This is super unverified. No verification behind this whatsoever that the Colorado men and or women um, were going to be potentially running unattached at Oklahoma State. No idea if that's true, but something to keep an eye out for if they are. No idea. Try confirming. Haven't confirmed. So, um, yeah, just just a heads up there. I wanted to throw that one out there. Yeah, and that would that would make that race even more exciting because obviously the men and women both bring a lot of quality runners uh, to the table. So, yeah, but like like you said, we're gonna have plenty of previews coming out this week. Um, I'm sure we'll be we'll have plenty of things to talk about on the podcast next week and and re- recaps uh, to write. Uh, I'm sure we could start to do a little bit of analysis, more analysis with these big meets where we can kind of see where teams stack up. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Absolutely. Yeah, man. We're at least for us, we're going to have a ton of content to write for the next week or two. And then, uh, it'll lead right into the conference championship. So uh, you know what, if we're as, as rough as the cancellations have been props to the conferences and the teams that have made it work, I don't have any ill will against those who, who canceled. I don't really blame them. Um, but for those who have stuck around, we've been getting some nice races, some cool results. It's been a little tricky to gauge, but, um, all in all, man, it's been, I think, for what the season has been so far, pretty solid. Yeah, 100%. Well, Garrett, until next week when we uh, will have all these races to uh, touch on and recap, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you.